Full Scope, Human Longevity and Performance Podcast. We want you to become the most exceptional, high-performing version of yourself. And to facilitate this, we are giving away the Longevity Fundamentals Handbook absolutely free. This is a tremendous resource that will tell you the lifestyle behaviors and mindset that will lead to the best outcomes and longevity. To get this, go to our website, wondermedicine.com or fullscope.org, put in your email, and we will send you this amazing resource, the Longevity Fundamentals Handbook. Welcome back. This is part two of Human Destruction of Earth and its effect on our health. I hope everyone is doing okay, and I hope this presentation doesn't make you too sad, because it is very depressing, very anxiety-provoking, and for many, it makes them angry. And remember, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. If we're going to solve the global issues in front of us, the destabilization of our planet from our own actions, we are going to need to come together in an unprecedented way. We left off talking about planetary boundaries. And remember, there are nine of them. In last episode, we talked about climate change and land use change or destruction of the the natural world and its replacement with agriculture and human civilization. In this episode, we're going to continue to talk about different planetary boundaries. Now, these planetary boundaries are a good framework to understand some of the things that humans are doing to Earth and understanding and quantifying how far we can push those things along. But, of course, there are other metrics that can be used to look at the health and safety of our planet. And I I just want to highlight that this is not the only framework. I'm using a framework uh, kind of pioneered by uh, Johan Rockström and, and other scientists in the Earth science field. But there are lots of different Uh, ways that we can look at this equation, and perhaps there are others that that may even be better. I also want to take a moment to thank a man named David Attenborough. He is a naturalist and filmmaker, and I've been watching his documentaries for years. They have helped highlight the beauty of nature, as well as the loss of nature and the destruction of the natural world. I think that some of the documentaries that he's put out recently have been tremendous and have been both scary and, again, enlightening. And I think that uh, people should know that a lot of the statistics and, and facts that I bring up in these episodes about the human destruction of Earth and its effects on our health... Uh, were first I first saw them in documentaries made by him, and then of course looked at them in other other sources and stuff. But what a what a wonderful man! And, and not that I've ever met him, but gosh, when he when I hear him talk, he really sounds like I wish 
all old people did. Uh, so thank you so much, David Attenborough. Your work is really appreciated, and I have really enjoyed what you've done and, and brought to the world. Thank you so much. And with that tribute to David Attenborough, we're going to talk about something uh, very, very frustrating, and that is the loss of biodiversity on the planet. And this is very alarming, of course, because the loss of biodiversity underpins our own ability to thrive on Earth. The universe is thought to be just under 14 billion years old. The Earth is thought to be about 4.5 billion years old. And for the last 3.5 billion years, we have fossil evidence that life has been on our planet. Earth is miraculous, and there has been life that has started and perished long before humans came into the picture. In fact, as a species, we're probably only a couple hundred thousand years old. Throughout Earth's life's history, there has been a number of mass extinctions. We have great records of at least six in our past, or sorry, at least five in our past, but there's probably been several others too. And a mass extinction event is when most of the species on Earth die off. It's a bad, bad deal. And right now, we are entering a sixth mass extinction event that is driven by humans. Earth is an amazing place, and it has a biosphere that is unlike any other place that we know of. The biosphere of Earth is where life exists on Earth. And life is diverse and, and formerly numerous. Now, of course, it is still numerous, but it's mostly monocrops of life. Humans, endless fields of only one type of corn or wheat or soy or palm oil trees. Cattle, pigs, chickens, other domesticated animals. We've replaced the natural world with the human world. And with that, we are causing the collapse of biodiversity on the planet Earth. Some numbers to highlight this. Only 30% of the birds on planet Earth are wild. All the other ones are chickens, turkeys, and other domesticated birds that we eat. Of all the mammals on the planet... Wild species make up only 4% by weight. 4%. In just the last 50 years, global wildlife populations have decreased by 68%. Holy cow, people. And this is not a surprise to anyone who spent time in the natural world over the course of many years. People can see this and know this. Every older person you talk to talks about how, oh, when we went out duck hunting, there were just thousands of ducks on the horizon, and we'd come back with full bags, or, or we'd go out fishing, and our nets would just be filled with fish. You know what happens when I've tried to go hunting or fishing? I usually don't even see any wildlife. 
I p throw my, you know, fishing pole down and don't catch anything. It's just alarming. And, and part of that's because I'm a bad hunter and a bad fisherman, and I really don't do that stuff because I'm not good at it, and I enjoy observing the life more anyway. But it's a problem, people, and we can see this. You know, you go out with your grandparent, and they tell you these stories about the abundance of life, and you're like, oh my gosh, within a one human lifespan, we have destroyed the vast majority of the wildlife on our planet. Everywhere we look these days, nature is in decline. Every day when we wake up, there's less wildlife on the planet than there was the day before. This is really sad. And it's not just about the beauty of nature and, and the fact that being around other species make us happy and, 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 and we can look at them and enjoy them. It's so much more than that. We depend on biodiversity for our own civilization and society. Think about this. 70% of the crops we use rely on wild insect pollinators. Wow! Insects are in decline right now. And with that could come a collapse in our agricultural system. It's hard to place a value on insects for what they do in pollinating our crops, but it's a tremendous amount of value, and to lose them would be a catastrophe. To highlight this point, in the in the United Kingdom, in the 1990s, bump, short-haired bumblebees became extinct, and the UK relied on them so much that they had to get short-haired bumblebees from other countries in order to continue their their crop production, uh, you know, as it had been. Biodiversity in general is just fundamental to the nutrient cycles on our planet, the production of clean water and clean air, and it's really seriously invaluable. It's hard for us to even measure what's going on because it's so important and so complex. Life is such a complex web, and when we start pulling out, you know, we start causing extinctions in certain areas, that can lead to a collapse of other species you can think of it like a house of cards once you start pulling too many cards out of the deck more species will die and that is how a mass extinction event occurs this isn't just you know again about the beauty of nature this directly affects us human beings in and of themselves are an ecosystem we are not just human cells. We, are, we have on our surface and in our guts and probably in parts of our body we don't realize bacteria, fungi, protozoa, and other microorganisms. And these microorganisms are our friends. They help us dissolve and use nutrients. They take up space so that bad organisms can't hurt us. And they're so important for health in ways that we're just beginning to understand. Along with the collapse of biodiversity and extinction of species comes the extinction of microorganisms. And it's thought from, from many experts on the microbiome that as much as 20% of the bacteria and, and organisms that used to live on the human body and in our guts have become extinct. 20% of the 
friends that live in our bodies are now extinct. And we've got all these gut issues, all these health issues. And it's like, why do you think this is, this is happening? And it's scary. It's really, really scary. And for every one human cell on our body, there are at least 10 bacterial cells. We're more bacterial cells than human cells. Right now, humans are accelerating the pace of the biodiversity collapse. This is a mass extinction event that is underway. Historically, and, and during the Holocene period, the baseline extinction rate is thought to be around 5 to 10 species per year. Because that's what happens. New species emerge, and, and some species, unfortunately, become extinct. That's just the nature of the world and of life. But now, with humans, it's thought that between 1,000 and 10,000 different species are becoming extinct every year. And we're losing we're losing organisms before we even understand what they are or what they do or how they could potentially help our species. Some of the greatest tools, including our industrial chemicals, pharmaceuticals, materials, have been discovered or derived from the natural world. The life on our planet is the greatest treasure of anything that we know of in the universe right now. Most of the elements and raw materials on our planet can be found elsewhere in the solar system, but the life cannot. And the genetic material and the proteins and the tools that can be gained from those will be lost with the loss of those species. And for many of them, we will never know they even existed because they're yet to be discovered. As David Attenborough said, the biodiversity crisis or the mass extinction event going on right now is so alarming because it underpins our own ability to thrive on Earth. I think many of us energetically feel the loss of other species. We are saddened by it. It's sad to see other creatures, other organisms become extinct. It's sad to watch them struggle to survive in the inhospitable world that we're creating for them. I think that humans really need to transcend from this idea that we are the powerful exploiters of our planet to being the guardians of our planet. And along with that guardianship comes protecting all the other life forms on Earth. People like Elon Musk of SpaceX talk about making humans multiplanetary, and they're doing amazing things to make that happen, creating rockets that could potentially take us to Mars to create civilizations. Now, we still don't know how to keep humans safe in deep space, but hopefully that comes, uh, comes soon, and I'd like to help answer that question. But more importantly, along with humans going to all these other planets, we really should be thinking about bringing all other life on Earth with us as well. Basically, if you get to Mars and you've only got a few organisms with you besides humans, it's probably not going to be a very healthy environment. We need other species to thrive, like we talked about with the microbiome. It is important for our own health to have a diverse uh, array of microorganisms on our bodies. And to support that, we have to eat 
a diverse uh, array of foods and we have to be in diverse environments or we ourselves are not healthy. What's up, Full Scope listeners? If you are enjoying this content, if this content is bringing you value, please share it with your friends, loved ones, and everyone else. Post it online, on social media. Let your friends know. Have them subscribe. Put the word out there. That's all we really ask. And at the very least, give us a review and rate the podcast. Thanks so much. Let's get back to the show. Pew! Once we understand that we are the guardians of, of creatures on Earth and other organisms, we will protect them. Once we know how to protect them, we will take them with us to other planets. And in a bright future that I'm seeing, we will use those organisms to terraform other worlds into hospitable places that resemble Earth. This is the bright future that I want to be a part of. I want to preserve the life on our planet, and I want to spread it throughout the rest of our solar system, and I want humans to be the guardians and the keepers of this life in a transcended state. Alright, the next planetary boundary involves another form of pollution, and that is novel chemicals. Since the Industrial Revolution, humans have created probably as many as 150,000 different new chemicals. Things that didn't exist in nature, but we've now made, they're now getting into nature and having effects on biological systems and ecosystems. At least 100,000 of these novel chemicals are currently in use. And if you count microplastics, it's even more. Every year, chemical companies make about a thousand new chemicals. About 1,400 of these chemicals are, are, are known or likely carcinogens, meaning that they cause cancer. But the way that the chemical industry works is that the burden of, of proof of safety all falls on the manufacturer. And of course, manufacturers that are making tons of money selling their chemical are going to underreport data that, that makes their products look less safe. So it's likely that many, many more of these chemicals are carcinogens. On top of causing cancer, these chemicals have been shown to cause a number of other potential problems in humans, including endocrine disruption or disruption in our hormone systems. They can also cause problems with, with the structural integrity of our tissues. They can be toxic to our brains, to our immune systems, to basically any of the body's organ systems. And what's really scary is that these chemicals are ending up in places that they never intended to end up. When we look at humans and I'm talking about a diverse array of humans from all over the world, we find 420 different chemicals within people, novel chemicals, just living in our tissues. Even scarier than in adult people, we find them in children and babies in the womb. Greater than 200 chemicals have been found in the umbilical cords. I think it's like 240 on the umbilical cords of newborn babies. 
Babies are literally getting exposed to chemicals before they're even born. Some of these chemicals that we're finding in people have been banned more than 30 years ago. Things like dioxins, PCBs, DDTs. These chemicals bioaccumulate and they don't go away very easily. They stay in nature and accumulate in biological systems like humans and often travel up the food chain, which, by the way, humans are at the top of right now. This is really scary. And as someone who just has basic logic, I think these are the principles we should follow. If chemicals are ending up in places that they weren't intended to be, including the human body, we should stop using them. If we don't have really good evidence that these chemicals are entirely safe and that we can use them, we should not use them or severely limit their use until safety is assured. And for chemicals that we know cause harm, we should stop putting them on our food. Good God, people. Our United States government does not care about the people. They care about keeping chemical companies rich. And that's why they allow them to spray harmful chemicals on our food every day. We eat it. Our health is suffering. I'll put this really simple for everybody. The rates of several cancers are increasing. Things like colon cancer, thyroid cancer, and a number of others. Autoimmune diseases are increasing. Obesity, diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, all on the rise. Infertility is on the rise. We are literally messing with the ability of humans to reproduce. And all of these different rises in these difficult, different medical problems suggest an environmental trigger. And no other trigger has as much evidence linking it to these problems as these novel chemicals. They are literally accumulated in our, in our bodies. And, and what sometimes happens is chemical companies will study one and they'll say, well, at that low level, it probably has minimal effect on the human body. What happens when you take 200 chemicals and put them in a newborn developing baby and they all are synergistically in there, possibly causing tremendous harm that we don't know about because we haven't studied them as a cocktail, as a mixture of different things. I mean, as a physician, when I look at various drugs, I look at what other drugs people are on, and I say, oh my gosh, we shouldn't mix that, or we shouldn't mix that. And that's what you do, and you would never act like, like things should be viewed in isolation when you're giving somebody a group of, of different medications. That's just ridiculous. So why would you act like that for chemicals? Basically, we make these novel chemicals for a number of reasons, and in, in many ways they have improved our lives or changed our lives tremendously. There's industrial chemicals, commercial products, pesticides, herbicides, heavy metals, the byproducts of combustion, solvents, and many other types and classes of chemicals. Perhaps the scariest, though, and, and I kind of alluded to this when I started yelling a little bit earlier, is that we are spraying our conventionally grown agriculture with chemicals that we know are dangerous. Um, for instance, glyphosate or Roundup. We put 9 billion kilograms of this on our earth soils and plants every year. 
companies like Monsanto make products like Roundup Ready wheat and Roundup Ready corn so that you can literally spray entire fields with Roundup, kill all the little surrounding weeds, it gets all over our crops, and we call that okay. But yet, a number of court cases have occurred which have paid out billions of dollars to people who have gotten cancers that have been directly linked to glyphosate. We know glyphosate kills bacteria in the soil and, and depletes the soil, and we know that glyphosate is harmful to bacteria in our guts, which we are learning are essential to human health. If you want to talk about a potential environmental trigger that is widespread and is getting into all of our biological systems, glyphosate is a great target. Why are we allowing it to be sprayed readily on our crops? This is crazy, people. As of 2014, the European Union doesn't allow for the importation of conventionally grown products like apples into their country because there's too much residue of pesticides and herbicides. But yet it's being fed to our population readily. Americans need protection from these dangerous novel entities. And the FDA and EPA are just not doing their job. Let's talk a little bit about infertility. From 1973 to 2011, male sperm counts have decreased by 59%. I started medical school like basically 10 years ago. And when I started, they were saying, when you do an infertility workup, you really want to go all through all this stuff with a woman, you know, ovulation, t blocking of the, the tubes, etc. And then finally, if you're at the very end, then you should check the male because it's often not them. Just in those 10 years that I've been a medical student, it's now recommended to pretty much check the male at the same exact time because they so often contribute to infertility. Now here's the link. A number of chemicals and pharmaceuticals are what are called endocrine disrupting chemicals. Basically they disrupt hormone systems and oftentimes this involves estrogen. The compound BPA, which is often used in plastics, readily leaches out of those plastics and gets into water. It's got a very similar chemical makeup to certain parts of the estrogen molecule, and because of that, BPA can stimulate estrogen receptors. BPA has been linked to increased growth of breast cancer tumors in both uh, mouse and other rodent models, as well as human cell line models. And this is just one example of multiple other chemicals. I mean, just think about all the birth control that we use in our women that gets into our water system from them peeing out the excess estrogen. Another class of chemicals called phthalates, which are often used as artificial fragrances in our cosmetics, so things that we literally put on our skin, are endocrine disrupting. They often stimulate estrogen receptors. Could this be the reason why male sperm count is growing down? Another marker of feminization, or I should say a marker of feminization that we can look at is the distance between the anus and the genitals. In women, this distance is normally about half, or historically about half the distance it is in men. 
So women's genitals are very close to their anus, whereas men's uh, scrotum basically is, is about double the distance from the anus as a woman. Nowadays, women's anogenital distance is, is about three-fourths of the male anogenital distance. Men are being feminized. And we're seeing increases in male infertility at a rapid rate. Let's take this a step further. Let's look at some of our natural systems. In certain fisheries in the Northeast United States that are close to chemicals and high populations of people, certain fish stocks that used to be more like 50% male, 50% female, are now 90 plus percent female. This stuff is scary and the potential link is terrifying and we could be endangering our future from a reproductive ability standpoint. And it gets even more disgusting. You know, we talked about BPA causing uh, the activation of estrogen receptors, potentially causing things like breast cancer. Well, the company that makes BPA, Novartis, also makes drugs like letrozole that block estrogen receptors and are used for the treatment of breast cancer and the prevention of breast cancer. My goodness, we have the same company making a chemical that we use in our, in our products that could potentially cause breast cancer as well as giving the cure. That is a disgusting and perverse situation, in my opinion, especially considering the fact that these companies know more about the, the health and safety of their products than anyone else. Another example of a pharmaceutical company linked to a chemical company is Bayer, the people who make aspirin. They bought Monsanto, the, the chemical company giant that makes things like glyphosine or Roundup. It's like the same people that are poisoning us are also the ones making our pharmaceuticals, which, by the way, when I, when I think about the polypharmacy and how many pharmaceuticals people are on, I think that in many ways they're hurting us too. I use a lot of these, these medications and pharmaceuticals as a medical doctor, but something's off, people, and anyone with half a brain can see that something's off. I have a prediction, and that is that the baby boomers are going to be the first generation that lives a shorter lifespan than their parents. And I think that trend is going to potentially continue. And one of the potential reasons for this is how unhealthy our natural world is and how toxin-laden our bodies are becoming. This cannot continue. We have to stop using chemicals that accumulate in our bodies. And in general, we have to stop using products that we don't know how to get rid of. Things like non-reusable plastics that are just slowly degrading into microplastics and poisoning all of us and, and animals and other ecosystems. The idea that that pe that businesses and, and manufacturers are allowed to make things that then just end up in, in trash dumps and can't be reused or recycled in any way is, is just sickening. 
you know, like we said, there's there's over 7 billion people on the planet today, and we're heading towards 8 billion. We can't afford to create things that we don't know how to get rid of or how to reuse or how to recycle. That that process just needs to end. And what it'll do is it'll decrease waste tremendously. And we'll feel better about ourselves. And it's just a good way to do things. Because at the end of the day, we will run out of resources if we just keep pulling from the natural world and the, and then and then have creating waste that we can't reuse in any way. And that's just not sustainable. That can't last. We're not going to be able to use those types of processes as we expand into space. And they're killing our planet, so they just have to stop. And it's not an av- none of this stuff is a matter of if they need to stop. It's a matter of when. And sooner, of course, is better. Okay, let's talk about fresh water. Um, water is absolutely essential to life. It's one of the few chemicals that all life we know of is dependent on it. And humans, of course, are very dependent on fresh water. Believe it or not, each person requires about 3,000 liters of fresh water per day. You might say, wait a second, I only drink 2 or 3 liters of water a day. Where is this coming from? Well, about 50 liters are used for drinking and hygiene, so things like brushing your teeth, showering. We use another 100 liters or so for washing and cleaning our living spaces. You can think about doing the dishes, washing your clothes, washing your car. About 100 liters are used for industrial processes that make the products that we use every day. But the vast majority of those 3,000 liters And in fact, 2,500 of those liters come from our food that we have to eat. Our food has to be water. The plants need water to grow. The animals that we eat need to drink water. And then they also need to eat the plants, which drink the water to grow themselves. And so really, when we look at our fresh water usage, it's agriculture where it's coming from. And in the same way, that we need to set aside enough land so that wildlife and natural ecosystems can be healthy and thrive, we also need to reserve enough fresh water for that as well. We need to allow for enough runoff in river systems so that natural ecosystems can thrive. A good example of this going wrong is the Colorado River. Historically, the Colorado River flowed every year from the Rocky Mountains uh, at the Continental Divide all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. And for the last 20 to 30 years, it hasn't made it to the Gulf. It doesn't make it. And I think one time in like 2014, it historically made it for a few weeks, and that was a big deal. But for the most part, it no longer flows. Humans siphon off enough of it to irrigate their crops, to uh, basically farm and ranch that the the water just doesn't make it any anymore to the Gulf of Mexico. About 36% of the world's population live in areas that are water scarce. And these people are particularly vulnerable to any changes in the fresh water sources because they don't have much water 
to begin with. And a good example of how that can, can get into a bad situation is the droughts in California in 2012 and 2013. During this time, uh, the water became very, very scarce. And because of the scarcity, um, a lot of the existing water became contaminated with things like arsenic, nitrate, radioactive materials. And it's estimated, or I think even shown, that over a thousand times uh, this the the drinking water that people were being given was in breach of or in violation of federal standards for for the purity and safety of that water so in a world where water becomes more scarce and chemicals become more common it becomes easy to see how drinking water in our water stocks could become too dangerous for human consumption right now on the planet most river systems are doing okay but humans drain them and in fact we use about 70 percent of the available fresh water on the surface every year to farm and ranch and kind of a scary statistic is that right now if everyone on the planet adopted the united states kind of meat centric diet and remember that meat if you're going to produce meat you have to water the crops that you have to use to feed the animal and you have to give the animal water as well and so you end up using a ton more water to produce meat than you do to produce produce if everyone in the world had an american meat centric diet like we have there would not be enough fresh water in existence to support that type of diet for everyone on the world and that's why I think this meat thing becomes such a big deal it, it's from a health standpoint people who live a sedentary lifestyle don't do very well for themselves by eating heavy meats because meats are such dense rich source of calories and and nutrients that people who are sedentary they don't need them and, and it just ends up sticking to their arteries and stuff now of course a, a growing active young person or someone who's active that's a different story but still from an environmental standpoint it's just tough because of the resources needed to produce meat and so for that reason just eating a healthy diet that's mostly based in plants is extremely good for the environment and our planet all right let's talk about nutrient cycles and in particular how humans are really screwing those up with our over fertilization of our agricultural lands as well as the burning of fossil fuel basically natural processes where chemicals like nitrogen phosphorus and potassium are continually cycled between water, soil, air, and the organisms that live in the biosphere are extremely important to the health of our planet. And they keep a number of ecosystems going and healthy. But humans are now disrupting these nutrient cycles. Basically, we found out through chemical processes that we can take nitrogen out of air and we can mine phosphorus and then we can use that to fertilize our crops 
And, you know, to be honest, it did some amazing things for food production. It, you know, the ability to fertilize uh, tripled food production for a time. But it had a dark side because we started over-fertilizing. We started putting too many nutrients on our soil, and those nutrients would run off into water systems. And that causes problems. Eutrophication is the process by which bodies of water become enriched with nutrients. It happens naturally, and it happens uh, in, in a natural way, slowly and safely. And, you know, sometimes it happens uh, too much and problems happen, but for the most part, it's a, a fairly balanced cycle that brings important nutrients to our water systems, which are the basis of ecosystems. But when we've thrown into the mix our chemical fertilizers, our phosphates and nitrates, as well as things like animal waste and sewage, that has increased the amount of nutrients which get put into our water systems tremendously. And what it does is it can lead to tremendously large and often harmful algal blooms. There's a number of harmful algal, bloom, algal blooms, uh, algae, that you've probably heard of. Things like red tides, which consist of dinoflagellates and, and certain types of diatoms, um, can produce neurotoxins and hepatotoxins and dermatoxins that, that hurt humans and cause diseases like paralytic shellfish poisoning. You, you may not have heard of other types of harmful algal blooms like green tides and, and uh, all the things that go with that like fish kills and, and shellfish that becomes inedible. In and even blue blue algae and blue tides. So lots of different potential um, harmful algal blooms. We always hear about red tides, but there's other types as well. And you've probably seen in some uh, bodies of water that like disgusting green sludge at the top of the, the water. And what that actually is is decomposing algae. And those decomposing algae can be really bad because what happens is they're consumed by micro microorganisms that then consume the oxygen in the water. And once we deplete our, our water's oxygen, it can't really support life in the same way anymore. And for that reason, we create dead zones, uh, bodies of water that, that are lifeless. And in the ocean, there are dead zones that are enormous these days. Some that are tens of thousands of square and cubic kilometers. It, it, it is really, really scary um, to think about the idea of, of huge swaths of, of sea and, and, and rivers and lakes becoming dead and, and just devoid of oxygen. And so eutrophication from human processes is really really bad and it's hurting our ecosystems and with that is hurting our ability to harvest food from those ecosystems such as our fisheries in the ocean alright let's call that good for now and we'll pick it back up in two weeks with part three of human destruction of earth and its effect on our health Pew!
Thank you so much for listening to the Full Scope Podcast and investing in your health. I'm Dr. Bill Randenberg. If you're enjoying the content, please rate, review, and share this content with all of your friends online and all your social media platforms. Please understand that this podcast is not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure your specific medical condition. This podcast does not create any type of doctor-patient relationship between myself, Dr. Brandenburg, and you, the listener. If you do need help with your life, with your health, with anything regarding your longevity or performance, please check out wondermedicine.com. Our longevity and performance program is the best in the world and is ready to help you right now, today, become the best possible individual you can be. Thanks. Bye-bye. Pew.